Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And welcome to week one of An Unhurried Life. I'm so excited about our virtual book club. I really am. I've been looking forward to this for so long. And um, those of you that know, uh, I have long talked about, you know, trying to find this rhythm of life with God that is so counterculture. Um, I think in the last video series I did for Simply Holy Holiday, I had coined, um, or I had taken the term Godspeed to, um, which is an old term, but Godspeed for now, for me, means going at God's speed, whatever speed he wants to go. So you know that that has always been something that's been on my heart. So uh, the thought of an unhurried life in general is a thought that is in my mind all the time. So I'm very excited to be talking about all of this with you. I'm coming into this video thinking that you have already read through chapter one and done your questions and that you are uh, ready to talk about it with me. Okay, so I wanted to go through the things that I highlighted and just sort of, you know, brief explanation as to why. First thing was um, that hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. And of course, that is so true. I've known this to be true ever since I read a long time ago, Ordering Your Private World, which if you haven't read that, at some point in your life, you're going to need to read that book. But it is such a great explanation of how the inner life of a man um, is so much more important than everything else. But it, al it also does exhibit itself in the outer man. Um, so it's exhibited in the saying, in this case, by a disordered schedule. And uh, in the book, he talks about, uh, in Ordering a Private World, he says, you know, my wife can always tell if my inner life is not in order because all the horizontal spaces in our house, like all the countertops and all the desks and everything, start to build up vertically. So she starts to have stacks of stuff. That means stacks of stuff I'm getting to at some point. So he just talks about how that shows that his inner life is, is his inner world is not in line with God. And I think that that's what I think about when I think about this. A disordered schedule really does represent uh, um, a disordered heart. Or a hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Okay, the next thing that I highlighted was, I feel hurried inside even when nothing actually urgent is on my schedule. Hurry has become a habit. I find myself stuck in emergency mode. Even when nothing outward is pressuring me to pick up the pace, I feel an internal pulse to get some ill, get to some ill-defined next thing that needs my attention. It's pathological. I need healing. I need grace. I need to learn from Jesus himself how to live at his unhurried pace. And this is for sure, this got me. I was all in when I read that because, um, you know, I had this experience where um, when I adopted, I actually went into some sort of emergency mode, which is normal. Um, you know, those of you who have gone through grief recovery, you know about the, the timeline that you do. It's this horizontal line of the time in your life. And then on that timeline, you're supposed to mark certain things that were uh, of great loss or a uh, great gain, you know. And so you put this line on it, and the, the length of the line, it indicates how sort of powerful or um, life-changing it was. And adopting what is the longest line, <laughs> both downward on my losses and upward on my gains. It was been, it's been the, it, it's definitely ranked in the top five best things that have ever, ever happened in my life. Um, I'm so grateful that I did it, but it also was a shocking amount of loss and 
uh, withdrawal and it's, it's kind of like a bomb is going off in your life, but I don't want to make it sound tragic. It just, a huge bomb goes off and then you have to figure out how to rebuild around that, um, you know, build back the ruins. So, um, but when that happened, you know, this is what now, almost six years ago, I guess, that, um, that, that they came to live with us. Um, I went into an emergency mode and what I haven't been able to do is quite get myself out of that ever since. I have gotten much better. And, um, you know, this is why Simply Holy was born, to be quite honest, is it was born out of that desperation. This is why I was able to finally get um, that I had a, an idol of food, you know, and I did the weight on worship and I realized, oh, I've been turning to food. You know, all that came because of the stress of that disorder. So I'm grateful for it. But I am now searching for, okay, how can I not feel that sense of urgency when it's not even there. I would liken it to um, a mild case of what people would honestly experience with PTSD. Um, it's the post-traumatic stress um, disorder. So they're not able to nor um, function normally in society after this big trauma has happened to them. And I feel similarly, even though it's not as severe, that I have never been able to regain uh, that uh, a slow, the slow walking pace, which is another thing that I um, highlighted in here. But I, I feel like that emergency mode um, gets me. So now I have been able to find it. I'm, I'm getting my rhythm now and going, okay, yes, I do not. I'm, there's nothing going on because I found myself in emergency mode for no reason. And that's what I'm trying to get rid of is the emergency mode for no reason. So... I don't know if you've been through traumatic things, um, but I just wanted to put that out there that if there's something that's happened that has really shaken your world, sometimes it can just be going from two to three kids or one to two, you know, whatever you had the next kid. Um, it, you know, make sure that you're really acknowledging that and, and seeing um, if, if that has caused you to be in a perpetual state of emergency mode. Okay, the next one was love isn't rushed. The first trait Paul mentioned when he described love is that famous in that famous chapter as of his is patience. Patience is an unhurried virtue and it's one of the virtues we have the hardest time with. That's certainly me. I have always struggled with patience because I see everything as an interruption to my agenda and um, I've just been you know always in a hurry to get on to the next thing so I think that oh the next one is I think just under the surface we believe that we'd be judged as substandard if we ever said I have just enough to do or these days my yoke is easy and my burden is light we assume that others will admire our busy and implied successful lives and I was thinking about this because I when I read that I just died laughing out loud because I mean I was thinking about, sadly, all the conversations that I have. Um, I, it's embarrassing to say that for me, out of my mouth or what I hear from other people, we're gonna, I'm either going to hear I'm tired or I'm busy. And I'm so busy or I'm so tired. And I just realized, oh my gosh, that's such a huge part of our conversations. And I, I, I likened it to when I first became a Christian, when I first became a Christian, and I realized that you... You, it's a sin to complain. I never knew that before. So it's a sin to complain. And I was just dumbfounded thinking, oh no, because complaining had been a, become a part of my normal conversation. Complaining had become conversation. In fact, it's a joke. How can you get a mu musician to complain? 
give them a gig. That's how you get them to complain. So, you know, basically I would carpool to all these gigs I have in the LA area, which could take some time and you complain kind of all the way there about how tired and how hard your life is. And then you complain all the way back about the gig. So I was thinking, oh, I had to re go in and think, okay, what am I going to talk about? What are the things that I love and how can I talk about them? And that's really the antidote for complaining, if you're wondering, is talk about the things that you love and are grateful for. Just replace. You have to replace it. You have to replace that conversation. Anyway, that's for another time. But I just thought this is exactly the same way. I was thinking, you know, so much of our conversations with other people are about this, being so busy, so busy. And I was thinking, this is going to take a, a complete mind shift for me. And I realized that um, there is that implied importance to being busy. Um, our kids do it. You can tell because we've passed it down to our kids and they all talk about how busy they are. Okay, now we can... Yes. All right. So we all laugh at that, whatever. But the truth is that we have passed this down. And this is going to be a huge mind shift for us, for all of us, I'm sure. But for me, for sure. Um, the next thing I highlighted was our hurry has also been fueled, ironically, by technologies that promise to increase leisure time and give us a much more unhurried existence. Instead, technology is accelerated our pace of life, making our days fuller and giving us much less downtime. We now have the ability to fit more and more tasks into a given amount of time. And isn't this the truth? I just got back from a conference this week in the Great Homeschool Convention of California, <coughs> which was mind-blowing amazing. But I must have heard a half a dozen talks about technology because it really is um, first of all, it's definitely not slowing us down. I, that's, you know, it's not, it's not making a more leisurely life. Um, it's definitely cramming in some entertainment there, but that's for another chapter. But it is not giving us more time to spend with God. It's not slowing us down to the point where we, oh, we think of our maker more, our creator. Spending more time with him is actually becoming uh, quite neurotic. And uh, we're seeing so many ill effects, the, the depression of our society, uh, the, the suicides, all of this can go, there's so many studies that link it directly back to all this social media stuff. But, um, and there really is, um, when, in 2006, when this was invented, basically, in 2006, there was this huge uh, explosion of technology. And so if you feel like, I can't keep up with this, and my kids are getting into things before. I'm like, no, what is that? What are you doing? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I need to look at that. I need to look at that. You can't keep up with it. It really is true that you cannot keep up with it because we are in an unprecedented time. Um, I, people in the future are going to look back at this time, and it's they're going to they're going to be talking about this time, just like we look back at the Industrial Revolution. Those people that were living through the Industrial Revolution, they didn't realize they were in a humanity-changing time. The face of humanity was changed by the onset of industrialization. It basically was the breakdown of the home and the home business. Everything about how our society lived changed in that amount of time. They didn't know that. Um, that they were in that time. We're in the same kind of time in this information age. It's just this huge onslaught of information and technology. And uh, just to keep up with it is extra. So I think it's definitely a worthy conversation, one that we probably have to have a lot, um, always searching and looking to God for the answers. So anyway, definitely I highlighted that. It's part of my daily life. Then the rest of them were... Uh, of course, to walk with God, you must go at walking pace. I thought that was so clever. 
And then um, the next one talking about the monks who would be traveling, it said they needed time to rest so that their souls could catch up with them. And I feel this on a daily basis. I have started interposing times in my day. I've talked about this for a long time, but um, where I can stop so my soul can catch up. And I'd never said it that way, but that's really what I'm doing. I need my soul to catch up with God. I need God uh, time. And uh, if you didn't watch Practice, 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 which is the last video series, in the last video of that particular series, I talk about something that I instituted because of this book called um, uh, It Is Good Times. So um, there's the times in my day where I have this time sp specifically set aside for that. And you should go back and watch that video if you want to know more about that. Um, it says, my hurry is what often makes the yoke of life and ministry heavier than Jesus means it to be. And for sure that is true because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is us that has the problem. We're the ones that are loading it up. So I, I definitely highlighted that. The next one was, and the last one was, I like to describe spiritual leadership as living a grace-paced life in the midst of a driven culture, living at a vital, life-giving, peaceful pace, while remaining engaged and active in the kingdom work. The kingdom work Jesus began here on earth. I live not at the mercy of culture's pace, but blessed by the mercy of my unhurried savior. And this was such a big thing for me because I think instinctively I do look at, um, I can look at being unhurried as if it's lazy or unproductive or as I, I, I'm not gonna get enough done. and. Uh, you know, this was actually a fear for me and why I didn't, um, I, I wanted to take a lot of time to read through this book a, f a couple times before <coughs> I started recommending it to other people, um, which is always a good thing to do, although I don't always do that. I find a new book and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to read this book. Of course, I haven't put any of it into practice, but I'm telling other people to read it. <laughs> That's not good. But this one I put a lot into practice. So I just wanted to assure you that it's the irony is that I have gotten so much more done being unhurried. It is bizarre. It is upside down, which we know that's how God works. And he works. He says, you deny yourself and you gain the whole world. You know, that's how he works. He works in ironies. But um, those of you uh, that know, I have been working very diligently on learning how to share my faith wherever I go, trying to do every day wherever I go. I don't know if it's every day because sometimes I don't go anywhere, but I try to do it wherever I go. And um, so what's happened to me since I've started employing this unhurried life is I had decided I'm going to spend a lot of time in my front yard. I'm going to spend a lot of time in my neighborhood and I'm just going to meet everybody that walks by. Now, I never would have done that if uh, a few a few months ago because I would be in a hurry going somewhere. I would go outside, I'm going to the store, um, I've got to go to the next class, I've got this study that I've got to do, or this lesson, whatever. So I'm always going somewhere. But lately, so since I've been doing this, I've been sitting outside just knowing I'm not busy. I'm not going to be busy. I'm, I'm busy out here um, trying to get to know my neighbors and praying that God will bring them by. And you know, there's a lot of dog walkers in our neighborhood. And actually, this is so funny, because I've shared my faith with so many neighbors. It's crazy. And it that happened not because I was, quote unquote, going after sharing my faith. It happened because I was going after being unhurried and walking at God's pace, which I just find completely ironic that I'm getting these answers to things 
um, in the most unlikely way. Um, okay, so those are all of my highlights. And then as far as unhurried time, I'm going to read the question that he put, and then I'm going to just read my answer. It says, number one, think again about our cultural tendency to value a fast orientation and devalue a slow one. In what ways do you see this tendency in your own life? What voices, within or without, seek to keep you hurried? Why not take a few minutes to imagine in prayer how a more unhurried way might actually be a more fruitful one? Well, I just really talked about that biggest way, but this is what I wrote at the time. I wrote, I do everything quickly. I brush my teeth while I do something else. I rarely have one thing I'm doing at a time. I walk fast, talk fast, and think fast. I think my energy is actually wasted that way. I end up doing too many things that really should be done by somebody else. I do have voices in my head keeping me in a hurry, especially since the adoption, which I talked about. I feel like I have been in emergency mode since then. So I wanted to talk about this one thing about uh, explain what I mean by doing things that should be done by somebody else. You know, each of us only has so much time in the day, and we really have to decide how we're going to spend those hours. It's making the most of every opportunity and um, teaching us to count our days and make, make our days count, basically, as the psalm would say. So how to hour by hour decide where is my energy going to go? And if you, the more you get in touch with the Spirit, the more you're following God, He will give you the guidance for every single minute to hour of your life. And it really is true. Um, I, I don't mean to be weird or super spiritual or something, but I would swear that God even on the other day told me what to wear. And I don't even know why that would be. I, don't, I have no idea. But I, I would swear that He does that. I think it's based on who He wants me to meet that day and what He, what he wants them to think about me. But I don't know. I, I pray about everything and walk with God and everything. And so he's going to direct that. But I think that on the front end also, we have to be realistic and say, I have this many hours in my day. And um, a while back, I uh, this is years ago, like a decade ago, I stumbled across this woman and I can't even remember her name, but she had written a book that was basically, she had a large family. And I like to follow people with large families. I like to read their stuff. And, I, um, I'm, and I'm talking about people with like 10 kids. Then the reason that I did that, I do that is because I always am fascinated by the fact that, you know, they, they have all these children, and yet they're more spiritual than I am. I mean, they're doing it. They're not sitting around whining. And I think that's what happens, is that when you see someone in a harder situation than yourself, this is a little trick for you, you can look at someone in a harder situation, and then it helps you to go, Tracy, stop whining. You're good. You're good. You only have four. Actually, you only have three at home. And for a long time, I only had two. <laughs> so, you know, come on. If they could do it with 12, you could do it with your four. So I like to listen to people like that because they figured out a lot of things that we can actually employ, even though we don't have, you know, maybe a lot of children like they do. Um, but one of the things she said was you need to write down every single activity or, you know, responsibility, chore, whatever that happens in your family. Um, doing the dishes, uh, mopping the floor, you know, sweeping, cleaning the bathroom. All the, of course, the chores have to go on there. But in addition to that, you need to put in all of the stuff like uh, uh, paying the bills, going through the finances, writing the school lessons, um, making sure that the calendar is in order, buying presents for various, you know, birthday parties you're going to. You know, all every single thing, errands, appointments, setting appointments for doctors and dentists, which can be 
apparently a full-time job. That's what it feels like to me. But you have all of these things written down, that everything that has to happen in the, in the family to make your family run. And then it's an Excel sheet. Then over that, uh, or you can just do it on a piece of paper, which I did. And then you put down each member of the family, you know, Jay, Tracy, JL, Jonathan, Jacob, Brooklyn. And so there's a little check out. And it and then I would, I would mark everyone who was capable of doing that job. So if it's sweeping the floor, we're all capable of doing that job, right? And do that in pencil, that part. Mark everybody that's capable of doing that job, sweeping the floor, um, washing the dishes, doing, you know, the laundry, whatever. And then you mark them all, um, you know, planning a study uh, for somebody, studying the Bible with somebody. Only I can do that. You know, only I'm going to be able to do that, me or Jay. Um, writing, a, writing a lesson, that's going to be for me. Um, doing the finances, only Jay can do that. You know, whatever. Whatever it is, you just mark the people that are actually capable of doing that. And then, once you get that down, then you go to the youngest person that is able to do that job, and you give it to them. And guess what? Your five-year-old can sweep the floor. Your five-year-old can sweep the floor because... It's not going to be done as well as you could, but it's going to be done. And by the time they're 10, they're going to know how to sweep that floor. And that means that you're not wasting your time sweeping the floor when you should be planning the homeschool lessons or when you should be, uh, you know, making dinner. How many people can make dinner? Or you should be balancing the checkbook or you should be planning this study, this Bible study for somebody. So they're doing those things because they can and you're the only one that can do those other jobs. First of all, that will get rid of all that stuff for you. It, it does two things. One, one, it trains your children. But two, it gets rid of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on the things you should. Now, I'm saying this basically because what I found is that I will let my energy go by, like, I'll walk through the kitchen. I'm like, oh, the kitchen, the dishes aren't done. Okay, I'll do them. So I'll sit there and do them. What am I doing? I don't need to be doing those. I have to actually stop myself because I could just spend all of my time just picking up after my family, picking up, picking up, picking up. It's such a waste of time. And I think that it makes me hurried. I think I need to constantly remind myself, Tracy, do the things that God has for you that only you can do and let them do the things that they can do and don't try to do it all. So that has been a big lesson for me. Okay, um, I just wanted to share that with you. Okay, number two, it says, How do you respond to the idea of Jesus as relaxed? What is your initial reaction? Is it positive or negative? What changes would you like to see in your perspective here? Why not take a few moments to talk with Jesus about this? And I wrote, I love the idea of Jesus being relaxed. I have always pictured him that way, actually. I have always admired his ability to be interrupted and to see those interruptions as his ministry. Being a self-focused person, I have always been I've always seen interruptions as an obstacle to my agenda. And that's I'm reading things that are very embarrassing for me to say, but that's really the truth of it. And um, I have always been you know, so intrigued with Jesus who'd be on his way somewhere, but he'd stop to heal this person or he'd be on his way to do something else and people would interrupt him or, you know, he's trying to get alone to have his time with God. He's, he's so sad over the death of his cousin and yet the people are waiting there. You know, I mean, he saw people as his ministry. He saw the interruptions as his ministry. And I've always been like, God, when am I going to become like this? You know, people first, tasks second, people first. That was told to me so many years ago, and I'm still working on it. People first, tasks second. And I, it's something that I say all the time to one particular kid of mine. 
that I need to say to myself all the time. And um, I just love the idea of becoming this, this relaxed, like Jesus. He was so effective. He led, I mean, 2,000 years later, we're, he, we're still following him. You know, he led like crazy, but he, um, he was relaxed as he did it. And um, that's totally a goal for mine. When am I going to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus, deep down in my heart. <laughs> I do. Okay, so number three. It says, in addition to some of the illustrations of Jesus' unhurried way that I've shared in this chapter, what others come to mind? What do these stories say about you? how you might be following Jesus in his way. Um, well, of course, uh, I know these stories that, that he shared, they come to my mind as well as, of course, Abraham. But I always think of Sarah, you know, taking matters into her own hands and uh, trying to make this happen and basically ruining her own life by doing so. I relate to her very much <laughs> when she did that. I definitely relate. Um, I wrote, well, I know for sure that I am a make-it-happen gal, often taking matters into my own hands. Partly, I was created that way, but partly it grew from a belief that I'm on my own to figure things out, a belief that, can come, that came from my journey into junior high when the authorities in my life apparently had lost all ability to protect me and right the wrongs I saw around me. And um, then I just sort of broke into a big prayer right here because um, I have struggled with this for so long. Um, it feels like an embarrassing thing to me that I, um, you know, I had such a traumatic experience um, going into seventh grade. And so now that I'm 50, I can often think, you know, what the heck? Is everything going to lead back to seventh grade? <laughs> And you know, when you are someone that's suffered trauma or you've gone through some hard times in your life um, or some abuse or something and you have to go back and look at it, sometimes you can wonder like, oh my gosh, am I just marinating in the past? Am I just, you know, marinating self-pity or what? But you know, I've, I've always said you, you've got to go back into the past in as, in as much as it helps you to be fruitful in the present. And so yes, I do think there's a time to go back. I do think there's a time if you've never um, dealt with some things that you gotta go back. I remember when I was going into CR, I was 30 years old and um, I was so depressed because I here I was broken at pieces and I was going into chemical recovery um, for this you know addiction and I was you know crying about it and I remember Kai Foster if anybody knows him he said to me he goes you know what even if you spend a year in recovery you have the rest of your life ahead of you you know and I was young at that moment so I was like oh, it's gonna be forever but he was so right you know I did I basically spent a year in that hard hard recovery actually I did it I hit it hard so it's lasted about six months um, but then, since then, it's just been, uh, you know, growth after growth after growth. I mean, I've been alive 20 years since, you know, so um, it has been a, such a fruitful life to have dealt with that. But, you know, sometimes I can think, gosh, how, how long am I going to have, are these gonna, things going to come up? And I just think that, you know, God is going to use this unhurried time. Um, and I'll end with this this story. I Because I've been really seeking this out and, and really praying about um, why my view of the world is so warped and um, because I have this sort of view that the that the world is just cruel and mean and blah, blah, blah. and um, 
but I, I went to the seminar this weekend and, uh, you know, something I've been praying about since what, since I was 30, so 20 years. And um, recently I've really been praying about God changing my mindset so that I can share my faith with more people so that I have a better um, evangelistic life. So I can live life to the full so that I can enjoy everything, you know. So um, I went to this class and she was talking about, her name is Kathy Cook and I'm, I, I recommend to any parent to look her up. She does her company is Celebrate Kids. She's amazing, but she was talking, uh, teaching a class on identity and how our kids are, for, you know, forming their identity. And uh, she said your identity uh, is, you know, who you are. And she was making a pyramid. And she had this block of identity. She said, but the identity cannot be formed unless the block underneath it is formed, which is security, and that is who do I trust. And it was the weirdest thing at that moment, I went, that's what happened to me. Because I, I remember growing up, you know, in, uh, I grew up in the church and I, I actually really loved God and I never doubted that he's awesome and that he was the authority and that he worked through my parents and I actually loved my parents, had a great relationship with them. And um, <clears throat> it was interesting because I never really doubted God and his plan. And then I got to seventh grade and I'm walking through the halls of seventh grade and I'm looking around and people are smoking in the boys room, you know, and they're uh, making out in the halls and they're cussing like crazy. And, you know, when I was in junior, when I was, I'm sorry, in elementary school, you know, character was still taught. It wasn't a Christian school, but they were teaching righteousness if they would have been able to say it out loud. They say character counts, but they're basically teaching be kind, be generous, don't do this, don't do that. And they would, you know, you have this teacher that's helping you go through your squabbles on the playground and, you know, basically teaching character as well. But, you know, once you get to middle school, now it's called middle school, then it was called junior high, it was like the the teachers weren't going to do anything. I mean, they'd do something if you brought a weapon. They'd do something if you threatened to blow up the school or if you were high, you know, if they could tell that you were um, on drugs or you brought drugs to school. Of course, they're going to do something about those things. But as if these other things weren't bad enough to do anything about. So nobody's stop, going to stop the cussing. Nobody's going to stop the, all the stuff. And I'm looking around. And it wasn't at that point even a self-righteous thing. I just didn't even know those things went on. And I was like, this is not right, you know, in my little heart. This cannot be right. Is this somebody going to do something? And, the, and they weren't doing anything. I'd go home to my parents. My parents couldn't figure out what they're supposed to do. So they're like, well, you got to go to school, you know. And I just, at that moment, I went, oh, the authorities have failed. They don't have any idea what to do here. They don't know what they're doing. They are not, I can't trust them. Um, and so God got kind of lumped in with that because I had always thought that God put those authorities in place, which he did. Um, so I threw all that out and I went I'm on my own and I had to form my own identity. And this is what a lot of our kids are doing right now is they have not decided who they're gonna trust and they have competing authorities now because they could, you know, they don't have to listen to what we say. They could say, hey, Siri, you know, <laughs> let me find out what she says. They can go to uh, any, they can find an authority to say pretty much anything they want to say, that, anything they want to hear. But I, I realized that in the, in the absence of that God security, that I can trust God, we will try to invent ourselves. And this is what ha why we get into this, um, you know, self-identity and recreating our identity and trying to figure out who we are and spending all this time I'm going to find myself instead of finding ourselves in God and it just 
it, the reason I'm saying this now, because I know this is a whole nother tangent and, no, and a whole nother lesson, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I was, I'm 50 years old and God is showing me something that started when I was 13. And that comes because when I went to that conference this weekend, I went at walking pace and I said, God, what do you want me to learn right now? Nothing else is important. I'm not in a hurry and I'm not focused on my kids only. I'm focused on what is God trying to teach me first. I'll make the changes I need to make and then I can pass those changes down to my kids. If you focus on raising your kids, you're gonna miss it every time. You need to focus on letting God raise you. You raise yourself and then he, he will take care of the raising of the kids. Keep your focus up. Even though you're serving and helping, your focus is up. He's the one that's training you. So, um, amen. That was That's the end of our week one discussion. I hope that it helped you. I can't wait to read your comments. Please comment on this video. And uh, for those of you who are on the Facebook page, please go over there and, and put your favorite quotes on there or things maybe even that you learned from this video or whatever. Let's just start talking about this book as we learn how to live unhurried lives and follow the pattern and the rhythm of Jesus Christ. Until next time.